Hello, and welcome to the Marysville Journal-Tribune podcast. This episode is brought to you by Axiona Energia, proudly bringing solar power to Union County and the Buckeye State. My name is Michael Williamson, and I'm here today with... Managing Editor Chad Williamson. Mac Cordell, reporter. Dave Applegate, the uh, Union County Coroner. John Rosevere, the Union County Deputy Coroner. All right, so on this week's episode, we have the coroner and the deputy coroner into the podcast studio. Kind of talk about a variety of things, what the coroner's office does, and um, understand that you will be retiring, and uh, that will change over at some point. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that, but uh, where do you guys want to begin? Well, uh, you are... How long have you been coroner, Dr. Apple? I was first elected coroner in 2000. Okay. So that's like almost... Uh, it's like 25 years, yeah. 24 yeah. years. Well, yeah, I was I've... deputy coroner five years before that. Okay. I've, I've only known two. So between you and Dr. MacGyver, it would have been how many years? Like... Um, well, he was 50 years in the office and, uh, you almost 25 at this point. And then 25, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> a long time. <laughs> That's impressive. Now, are you originally from Union County? I am not. I'm okay. from Detroit. Oh, I didn't know that. How'd you get to Union County? How'd I get to Union County? Um, my wife and I being physicians, we were looking for a smaller town near Columbus uh, to be near our folks, and uh, we found a practice that we could both join and uh, en- enjoyed Mary's own. That's how we ended up here. Right. <laughs> yeah, and then the corner. So then how did the corner thing come along? Because Dr. MacGyver to the, old, the older residents in this town just was, he was kind of the doctor, the corner. He was like Mr. Medicine in the, in the county, in the town. And, you know, I, I think there were a lot of people there that probably thought he would die at that position. And that's all anybody had ever known. How did that transition happen with you? So um, I think he was going to die in office, and actually he probably did. I think he actually did die in office. Um, but the Don't president of coroner that could tell us these things. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> was he, was he was still actor. acting when he when he died? I didn't remember that. He had a stroke. Really? And, and then in the last month, uh, I acted as the coroner and then was – and the election occurred, and then it was mine. But and wow. so he actually did not die in office, but he had a stroke and was incapacitated. Wow. Unfortunately, so um, so uh, somewhere in I would say 1994, um, Danny Boggs, who was the president of Memorial Hospital, uh, asked me if I was interested in being a coroner, and I looked at him with cross-eyed and like, <laughs> what? No. Uh, but uh, he he sat me down and said, you know. It has some benefits of um, being in uh, public employee retirements. It uh, can help pay with uh, your health insurance uh, for your family. And Dr. MacGyver will be retiring in a year or so. And um, so I met with Dr. MacGyver and uh, uh, the county prosecutor at the time, Larry Schneider, met with me and said, you know, we'd love to have you. So I said, sure, sign me up. Um, Dr. MacGyver decided not to retire at the next election and ran for four more years. So that meant I had five years as the deputy coroner and uh, learned a little bit more about it and what it meant. And um, uh, in 2000, I was the only one standing in line for the job. (laughs) And what, what do you think it was that made Danny Boggs come to you? I mean, there were some other physicians around and maybe some that had been around the town a little longer. Was there anything in particular you think why he thought might be a good fit for you? Well, I think uh, at that time, if I remember well enough, um, <clears throat> we lived in town. Um, a lot of the physicians were not living in the town at that time. 
and we're invested in the community with uh, doing things like uh, high school football or wrestling, uh, giving speech, uh, speeches or talks at the uh, churches and whatnot. So I thought he saw somebody who was a young physician who was interested in adding a little bit more to the community and uh, might be uh, insane enough to consider the position. So coroner is a strange position. Talk to me about – I know there's a broad spectrum of things that you do and can do. So talk to us a little bit about what it is that a coroner does. Well, the odd things are is I can serve as a county commissioner uh, if two of them are incapacitated. I know. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that so, one. I so, knew some of those. I didn't know uh, that one. You, you have to have two votes to pass legislation or to approve funds, appropriate funds. And there have been times where two county commissioners have been uh, incapacitated and they couldn't spend any money or get anything in the process. So they felt like the uh, um, coroner was a safe person to pick until – uh, the system could uh, have the next uh, people elected or appointed. Why would so. anybody know why? Why would that be? Why? Why of all the county officeholders did they pick the coroner? I think the coroner. I don't know why the legislature does mm-hmm. anything sometimes, <laughs> um, but uh, I think the 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 coroner is probably the least political and and uh, is uh, hopefully well schooled and can be uh, help do that. Oftentimes mm-hmm. they would. Um, it, there's, it's not codified in the Ohio Revised Code, but oftentimes the coroner would also act as a sheriff uh, back in the old days. Um, we'd, I, we'd heard that. And we, I knew that – and I, I always thought kind of the, the other issue for the coroner was that you always knew there was a, a certain level of education and kind of understanding of things that the, that not everybody would maybe have – in the county, so maybe um, the smallest budget and the least chance that you were going to funnel a bunch of money uh, yeah. over into your into your coffers, maybe. Um, but yeah, I knew that the I believe the county coroner is the only one with authority to arrest the county sheriff. Is that accurate? That's what they say. I, right. <laughs> but, uh, are there other weird, like, are there other little nuances to it either? Oh. Uh, nothing that I can think of, but uh, we, it's a lot more than just signing death certificates. Um, and th- that is what surprised me uh, about the job that has actually made it enter, um, rewarding, I would say, as a career. I'm, I never dreamed of doing it this long. And there are many times I thought about quitting, but um, signing death certificates is almost the least of what we do. Um, but there's so much value that we add to um, our, our our location or our society um, that we can help make this a better place to live. Talk to us a little bit about some of those benefits. You you know, you mentioned you can make this a better place. And I don't know that people initially think, oh, I should move there. They've got a great coroner. You know, <laughs> I don't know that Meg Michaels is saying, you know, listen, you on attractions for the community. Well, but- and that's the thing. All, all people see are, you know, what they see on crime, crime shows. Right. The coroner shows up, slaps the body. Yeah, he's dead. And, pokes a and, thermometer in. Tells and then, him he, and then he takes and, off. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I think that's what people maybe would be interested in is to hear some of those yeah, things. Yeah, I don't think that I'm out advertising what we're doing. <laughs> uh, that. I, I think setting up a culture of, of uh, organ and tissue donation that, that's as favorable. You know, somebody unfortunately dies, but maybe somebody else can benefit from that death. So setting up that premise that we encourage it, uh, helps the organ and tissue procurement system. I think how we investigate things it, to um, 
not only respect the religious and cultural beliefs of those who have died and families treat them with respect, but that we've actually investigated. Because oftentimes, three months later, we get a report saying, do you know this and this happened? I'm like, hmm. no, but we did investigate and we did a good job at that time. So adding that sense of uh, trust to the community, I think, is important. Are we perfect? No. But looking to to uh, run the office with a sense of quality, always trying to improve and respect. Working with relationships is one of my main rules or values. We work together with law enforcement, uh, with EMA, even in uh, solar eclipse planning. You know, we've asked all the funerals not to have funerals that day because there's no place for people to stay at or to have a funeral procession. <laughs> I never even thought like uh, I, Nope. I wouldn't have either. See? So those are things. Um, you know, there are public health concerns. With COVID, COVID is a natural death, not a coroner's. But we're, we, we are death experts. So helping the funeral homes through how to handle a body that has COVID and how to decontaminate or make it safer, that was our role. Having a morgue in case we had too many deaths, uh, you know, stand by. We managed that for the state uh, locally. Oh, this is morbid. What, what was Union County's? <laughs> Standby. You had a standby area out out behind the um, uh, uh, highway patrol station was a trailer that really? was specially designed to have bodies in it. Never used it. But See, it was out nobody there. knew. Nobody, nobody knew. knew. And nobody needed to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so those things, uh, you know, in my first um, probably first um, term, we had a lot of deaths down at 161 uh, Route Four. Uh, and so oh, yeah. meeting with the Ohio Department of Transportation, you know, what can we do differently? Signage, do we need a yellow light? You know, when you start seeing trends of deaths in the county, how do you help be a good public servant and say, can we stop this? Um, the suicides that have been occurring, you know, get a lost team, the um, local outreach to survivors of suicide or to help with the suicide task force. How do we work with mental health to do that? And so they have details about what trends do we see in v veterans and, and young kids, overdoses uh, that, that uh, target us. It takes way too long, six weeks, to get a toxicology report back when somebody dies. But we can do a rapid test um, form. We've gotten grant money to so that law enforcement knows within 48 hours what's on the streets, what is killing people. So if you're starting to see one of the, they call them bad batches of whatever, you kind of know. That's okay. what's in the community. Yeah, you can yeah. have the law So waiting six weeks for well, it may we, you know, hopefully we can save a life. But if they know, they tend to know what drugs are coming in, where they're coming from, and then maybe they can go after that uh, the, the feed trail. Yeah. Um, so that um, you talk about the suicide situation, and I know I think a few of the stories we've done here have been based on things that have come out of your office. I know, I think you and I talking at a high school, Marysville high school football game about an elevated number. I can't remember if it was Her youth. Was it youth? No, it was. I thought that was heroin. There was a, one of them was suicide, suicides in the community also um, led to some of the series we've done and things like that. And so I know, and I know just I'm Lance talked to you not too long ago about something that led to a Yeah, story. about the – well, we're working we're working on it with the health department. He talked about how Narcan, um, the influx of Narcan, it, we are seeing a, a decrease in fatal overdoses. Um, and he 
provided these the statistics to not just yeah it seems anecdotal but kind of provided the statistics over the last i think 5 or 7 years whatever to to show hey we had this rapid decrease and it started about the time that the health department moved forward with an educational program and kind of the distribution of a wider distribution of narcan and you know i think those are the things that help you know validate some of those programs and you know help the community understand hey this is why we do what we <laughs> why the health department does what they do so um yeah, those is that's so true i mean <clears throat> used to be that you know there was some harsh feelings about people who have uh, uh drug habits they get what they deserve or um but and giving out free narcan is it useful but we definitely we do keep track of all the overdoses in the county uh, whether they survive or mm-hmm. whether they become one of our patients um and so that's you know another f- uh, service that we provide to the county. Uh, I, I thank the county commissioners for allowing us to do that, uh, funding it so that we can uh, do it for the health department and law enforcement. They can see where the trends are, where they're located geographically right. uh, in the county. So, okay. The, um, Trying to think, there are other odd oddities that uh, you know. We, we are pre- prepared for mass fatality. I hate to say it; it takes planning. Uh, Dr. Rosevere, he just went and, uh, did training in incident command, and uh, you know, kind of FEMA program, so that we can play our part when when we do have a fatality. We had a tabletop a couple of years ago of, of a car coming into football stands, yeah. and um, so thinking about those things: Do you have enough body bags? How are you going to get? transport we have mutual aid agreements with a couple of the counties uh, that we never did before Uh, we can help them they can help us Um, so kind of being prepared and thinking about those things um, training for them um, you know hopefully we'll never use them right right so um, we've gotten the um, coroner's office accredited with the national association of medical examiners i remember that so, was a big deal it was very hard yeah um, lance uh, give him credit that he got us there it took a couple years and we've been re-accredited but you know that it actually i think it's my my um argument to the commissioners was it actually saves the county money um and and i say that is we think some trials don't happen that they plea bargain because we've done such a good job in investigating that the prosecutor can say you know you can't throw the coroner's office under the bus as far as rules of evidence or investigation and so they sometimes plead out right um, and that saves the trial which is a lot of money for the county yeah um, we, we do teaching. We teach in the high schools and the forensic sciences. We Not only in Marysville, but we've gone down to Hilliard to teach. And then we also train uh, people who are interested in forensic uh, being a death investigator. So Lance has done that. Um, and that, that helps us whenever you teach. You have to be sharp at what you do. Right. So it keeps us sharp. People like it. And um, so there's interest in it. So I'm sure I'm forgetting lots of stuff that we do, but uh, so it's less just it's a little bit more than death certificates. You know, I think you know from a medical professional, a lot of doctors don't like to sign death certificates. They're worried that they did something wrong. They're worried that um, they don't know what to put. I wasn't there when he died, and so it only that only is a burden on the family because you can't bury a body or cremate it until you have a signed death certificate. So it makes families wait, and we can hold their hands as we go walk through it 
um, and help get the death certificate signed. So that's something behind the scenes. I think it's crazy that doctors don't want to do that. But I've been, you know, I, I joke with them that, like, you want me to sign it, and I've never even met the person. Right. You prescribed medicine <laughs> to that person. You should know a little bit more than I do. Um, but, um, you know, that it, they're worried about making them look bad or worried that they don't know exactly why somebody died. So... What are, what are the situations, I guess, when you guys get called? If if someone of a fairly young age <clears throat> dies and they don't really know a reason, is is that – do you guys come in and look at things like that? Or like some things obviously – something is suspicious obviously, but are there times when it's – it could be natural causes, but they need you guys to come in and, and check things out? Yeah, our team um, of death investigators, if we're notified of a death, we will go to the scene and check it out. Sometimes it's in the emergency room. Sometimes they're at home. They may be 102. They may be 17. Um, there is no fine line of what age somebody is for it to be natural. I've seen I've done paid for autopsies that uh, uh, guys are 42 and it's a massive heart attack. I'm like, whoa, that's young to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but everybody in the room just cringed just a touch. <laughs> um, you know, so when is it too young to figure out? Sometimes there are times, um, there are times that you, you do an autopsy because you just don't know why. And there's no real medical history together. They didn't go to a doctor. They, you know, you're just stretching it. There, if somebody's 80 years old, um, you may say, well, they're probably natural. I have had conversation with doctors that just are sweating like, oh, my gosh, I left, I sent him home from the hospital last night. And um, I'm like, I'm not sure. Okay, I'll help you out. We'll do an autopsy. And um, I remember very vividly the doctor and the, and the patient, and uh, he had a heart problem. But he also had eight Oxycontin pills in his stomach at death. And like, I would never have guessed a 74-year-old man overdosed. Wow. Right. So it was a learning experience. So we can't afford to autopsy everyone. Uh, this is taxpayer money. So I want to be a good steward for the community. But so we, you know, if somebody's younger or there's, there's uh, some controversy about uh, something, I think there are times where we do autopsies to help the public good. Um, to decrease the rumor mill, sometimes to make sure there's not an infectious disease in the community, sometimes to make sure it's not an accidental or non-natural death. And then sometimes we find one yeah, that was natural, and uh, but it, then it gives that family some closures to know what really happened. Um, so it, it's how it's presented. There's no the discretion to do an autopsy is, is completely up to the coroner. There's no textbook that says yay or nay. Oh, there are lots of uh, <laughs> yay or nay advice. There's no law that says I have to do it. If a, if a child who is in apparent good health under the age of two, I do have to do an autopsy for a child uh, who was previously known to be well. If okay. a child has cancer and they die of the cancer, unfortunately, we don't. Have, that's not a coroner case. Right. So, but I'm surprised that age is only two. It yeah, too. you know what I mean. It seems like anything. There's a wide range of ages there where, without a previous medical condition, it seems like you should be suspecting something. What What exactly do you guys and your investigators do at the scene versus what is sent off for an autopsy? Like, what can you do to help law enforcement or whoever else kind of at the scene? Like, what's the extent of what you can do on site? 
Well, I haven't been to a site for about five years, and Dr. Roosevelt is going, <laughs> going to sites right now. I'll be, I'll be happy to weigh in, but I'll let him yeah. kind of tell you what it's like going to a scene. So uh, that's what I've spent about the last year of my life doing, um, getting out to as many scenes as I can, getting interactive in the community. Um, the, the scene perspective of this is new for me. I spend a lot of time in the um, – I work in the emergency department here. So it's a bit of a different approach to me. We spent a lot of time at the scene documenting exactly what the scene was, what we find, the medical side of that. And I think um, having death investigators who have some medical approach rather than just law approach uh, helps a whole lot to understand exactly what happened at a scene, whether this was a natural death or whether this is something we should be more suspicious of. Mm -hmm. We try to have the attitude everything should be considered homicidal until we can say it's not because we don't want to lose any evidence. So it's often we're, we're usually not the first ones there. Uh, that would be a little odd for the coroner to be there when the person dies. But uh, so law enforcement or EMS are there, and they give us kind of some context of what's going on. Uh, if it does look like a crime scene, um, perimeters are set up and, you know, you protect. But we're looking for the state of what the environment is. Is it outside? Is it in a car? Is it in – the guy's in bed, uh, the lady's in a chair, um, is, is it their home? Not Are we looking for prescription medicines? Are we looking for weapons? Is the area safe? Safety is my number one rule. What are some of the things like that? I mean, I think people are thinking, well, the police would take care of some – if someone was murdered or, or something like that, the police would take care of it. But I would assume with the drugs possible and – especially things like fentanyl and things like that that are, that are possibly around? Well, believe it or not, a death scene trumps a crime scene. So we don't like guns to be moved because was it placed there as, or is it a suicide versus somebody made it, is trying to make it look like a suicide. So we try to have uh, areas. So weapons are a concern. Infectious diseases with body fluids are a concern. I think um, – booby traps and and um the you know, 20 years ago i was learning about weapons of mass destruction are we getting into ricin at the area is there cyanide you know some of these are occupational deaths out at honda or at nestle's or at you know all the chemicals at scott's we have to be respective of what are we getting into and so there's the physical the infectious as well as the mental health you go see a kid in pieces it make you may take that home. Seeing death over and over and over adds up. And so what's the mental health? So, you know, we have Pastor Jim and helps come in and talk to the team about what they're doing. I don't want them to be cold and callous because that's not the right attitude either. But they do have to do a job. And I, I expect them to be emotional and um, have some compassion and, and still do their job. But there is a balance there of being human and yet being suspicious of everything you do, that we're actually being honest. So. It, it is very different to see to see death in the community versus death in the hospital for me. I think mm. that's something that's kind of taken mm -hmm. a little bit of a toll that I didn't expect so much when I started this a year ago, that I was very used to death in the hospital. I've been practicing medicine for, I guess, 12 or 13 years now. And um, I guess that didn't seem long to some people in this room, but to me, that's a long time. <laughs> um, but well, that I, comes to you. Like, right. you know there's something wrong. They came there. There's a reason they showed up at your door as opposed to, all right, here's this thing, and it's natural state. Now and, you decide. And moreover, it's somewhat of a sterile environment. 
I get very used to my trauma bays and to my rooms that death in one of my rooms is something that I, I even or in the ICUs when I worked there that it was very easy to for my body to and my mind to comprehend um getting used to it in the field is something different and I agree I worry about our investigators and I, I try and serve them as best I can yeah, I mean you know around a plane crash where you know starting to snow you know there's just cold and there's I, was at that I remember yeah. you were out of that so, one I was <laughs> took you back. They took. I remember so. they took you back on a like a gator one time, yep. and because it was a it Way was back screwed. in the field. Yeah, and it was yeah. the the things you had to look for were everywhere. Unfortunately, like there's no other way to say it. It was a that was that off, crash, yeah. was it Scott's lawn where that was. Uh, that one was no. Forty two was more recent. This more was, recent. This uh, a long time ago. It was, yeah, it was off Scott's. No, Forty two was, was at least daytime. That was one off, off. Was it off Flat Road? It was off Maybe. It was out there, and it, it was getting dark. And it's it was off Weaver. We came in off Weaver. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And but yeah, it was getting dark, and I remember. Jeez. Yeah. Those are those are hard. You know, there was one that was uh, a kid died right before uh, um, the runway. He was trying to leap, limp back to. He was a twin engine plane. He was having engine troubles in both engines, and trying to limp. I knew knew the guy, and to see him burn, oh, burn. Yeah, you, you. So I forgot you fly. fly. Yeah, yeah. You, you do all so, that stuff. Yeah. Um, those are hard, you know. So I, there've only been a couple times where I have been emotionally. I had to take a break, mm-hmm. and and that's you know. I, I met a. I saw a guy who was born the day before I was, and he got t-boned, and he didn't go home that day. And it made me think of, have I added value to the world? Have I been a good life? Have I been a good dad, good husband? This guy's just not going home. He right. didn't leave him work. Mm-hmm. And then another one I saw, um, a girl was 13 years old, hung herself from a bungee cord in the garage, which had been converted to her bedroom. And I had a daughter who was 13 at the time. And I'm just like, why? Yeah. And I go home and hug my kids, and, and they're going like, why are you being so weird, Dad? <laughs> and uh, But so it, you do take it home, and 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 um, you have to you know, kind of process it and put it into – put in some boundaries so that it's not affecting you all the time. But it, it can be difficult, um, particularly with dismemberment or burns and, you know, what happens to the body. I would I think, think going into people's homes too – can go two directions it can either we've heard some stories even some here recently of some exceptionally cluttered dirty kind of ridiculous situations and i would think the flip side would also be true if you go into a child's room and see the typical things a child collects or has or you know there is something to that too like a typical kid and just seeing those things and knowing you know that dollhouse is never going to be used right. again. Those like that kind of stuff would be almost as bad as going in and seeing kind of a traumatic. I don't. I don't even know how to say it, but a house that's maybe unkept or something. But one of the most rewarding things that I've uh, had as a coroner is the the ability to go into people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Uh, have made home visits uh, as for our live live uh, patients, um, but seeing pictures on the walls, seeing how people live, right. um, seeing their clothing, it is a look into their souls about what family is, and what they don't have, what they do have. I um, wonder about things. I I honestly feel very blessed to have lived the life I have and the opportunities I've been given um, 
after all these years. But I, I have to say that um, I've enjoyed I, being a physician uh, for, you know, 40 years. But the nicest thing I see is they actually get to know the patients. And, and while death is um, happens to all of us, uh, seeing the other side of the who this person is and not just somebody in a, in a car wreck. It's a little different, but to go in their homes and seeing, even when they're elderly, uh, you actually get to see right. family. I, I get, Sometimes, I completely, along the same lines of the thing you talked about that you're comfortable dealing with that stuff in the, in the ER, but you go into their bedroom, you go in their bedroom and kind of take that clinical approach to figuring things out. I would think like you're going to absorb that, you know, you're not in your workplace. You're, yeah in their house going through kind of a completely you know, traumatic thing like that. And I'm, I'm used to deaths that are somewhat unexpected in the emergency room. I'll be truthful though. The ones where that I've been a little shocked by that I've been out to where the family kind of knew it was coming and they've kind of been at peace. And it's been, it's been kind of rewarding for me to see families that kind of say, Hey, we were, we're okay with this and we understand what was going on. And they're, we're, we're happy there to help them through that, that step. Um, but people that are kind of just at peace with what's going on is very, it's very comforting to me to know that people are out there helping their relatives and, and comfortable. I'm proud of our team that we just don't show up to a house and say, yep, this is a natural death, not a corner case. We'll stay there until they get the funeral homes and, and we can help carry the body um, and be helpful to our, um, you know, funeral homes and to our law enforcement and um, the family members and find some closure and get, get let the doctor know when they need to sign their death certificate. We just don't walk out. It's a dec- There's too many deaths in Franklin County to have, you know, to give that level of service that we can do here. I think that last step of closure is a big deal to people. That I think that even if it's a natural death at home, that people don't really know what that last step is or kind of what to sure. expect. And to have a, a group that's willing out go to, to go out and kind of help and provide some service and help with that closure is helpful. Mm-hmm. You talk service. about seeing family members that are almost at peace at the end. Do you ever get the other side of it? Do you, <laughs> that must be a yes. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a yes. Do, uh, do you ever get the ones that will not accept it? Look, I, I don't see any signs of anything, and there's absolutely no way this is not foul play or something like that. We get conspiracy theories. We get anger. We get um, uh, denial. Denial, yeah. There's... I think over the years you get to see all sides of human. They're at their worst time. They're at, um, you know, they're just, they can be nasty. They can take off. You start wondering, was well, law enforcement looking for them? They're, uh, mm-hmm. So um, we we get, you know, we have some really sad cases where we can't find a living relative. And, and, you know, we're searching and, you know, we got a body set in a cooler. Well, we had, we, so. I remember one of those where they were, they were looking for an individual. Uh, hmm. uh, was it a motorcycle crash or? A, yeah, it was, a motorcycle? Uh, it was on um, dog like No, I don't know. Wesley Clee or somebody died. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, motorcycle. Wow. Yeah, we finally found a relative living, a distant relative living in Alaska, mm-hmm. who did not want to sign anything. And that we just had one last week where uh, the person truly did not have any living relatives. Um, divorced. Uh, uh, adult children had died. And, um, you know, the um, um, funeral home did not feel comfortable cremating without a next of kin because now you're destroying the body. Natural death. And, I, I, you know, working with the funeral home, I said I would 
you know, if we have done all our dotted, dotted all our I's and crossed our T's to make sure there's no living relatives, I will sign off that this is a natural death and the coroner is aware of it and it's okay to cremate based on a non-relative's decision. And uh, so we work with, we try to work with the head. Is that what happens when you can't find anybody essentially to... There's no, there's no law about that. Mm-hmm. So typically, we've only had a couple cases where we cannot find a living relative and no one to pay for it. Usually, the funeral homes will work with any relative, friend. If they're willing to pay for the funeral, they're willing to do it. Occasionally, we get one, I say, only a couple times in the last 20-some years, and we've gotten a couple churches uh, to pay for them. And so, you know, I'm kind of, the law says the uh, municipality or the township would then have to bury them in kind of like a potter's field. But we've not had to do that in Union really? County. I'm very proud of the community we live in because we can find somebody to help pay for things. And the funeral homes will do it at cost. I mean, it, it is just not one person or one church that's doing it. It's the funeral homes, a church, or it's communities that come to say we'll take care of them. I recently had a discussion with my with my boys, two of my, my two middles, about what a potter's field is. And, um, <laughs> just that, yeah, that's a unfortunately that's a thing, and it has to be a thing. So I'm, it makes me proud of Union County that it, uh, think, it yeah, that's not a thing we've had to use here. So. What do you guys maybe and maybe if you want to walk us through as as you're in the field a little more now than <laughs> Doctor Applegate, if you if you get called and you go to let's say a home and maybe they think it's a suicide, like what? What is the process when you get there, when you start going in? Do you talk to law enforcement outside? Do you do whatever? I mean, what is kind of that process of what are kind of the steps as you get there and you start working through that process? So uh, the general process is, um, once more, we're not the first ones on the scene. Mm -hmm. So the scene has generally been looked over and made safe before we get there, and we kind of double-check that process before we get into anything. Um, we've had a few scenes recently where that may not be the case, though, um, where we had to be a little more cautious on the scene because there might be, you know, active members around that weren't caught yet. Um, and then um, once we've talked with law enforcement and fire to clear the scene, we go in and um, start taking photographs and documenting the scene and searching the scene for any um, contraband or anything of that sort that will help us give us clues. Um, generally for things like suicide, we look for paper or notes and we spend a lot of time talking to family as well um interviews are a big part of the process i think that kind of goes hand in hand we're uh, lucky enough here in union county that we generally are able to get two death investigators out there so we kind of break our team up and get one person talking you guys have total three three Two out of three is pretty. Well, yeah. That's I, a lot of, yeah, lot of on-call I'm, time. I'm bad, a certified yeah. death investigator, but uh, <laughs> I'm not counting myself. <laughs> and um, I mean, it used to be a big deal that we only had two for a long period of time, and those two guys took call 24-7 and would work together. And so it's, it's a big step forward for our community to have three and have that ability to have somebody on 24-7 and call and have them ha- be able to have a life where they don't have to be taking call 24-7. Um, so regardless, they get out there and they start talking to people and taking a history. I think, um, you know, I, I was told by one of my mentors at one point that history is 95% of your medical exam, um, that talking with people is, will tell you a whole lot more than looking at a situation. And so I think the family's history and the physician's history from talking to the primary care doctors, talking to law enforcement, hey, do we know this guy? Do we know more about him? Because our, we're, we're also lucky in Marysville that we have such great um, law enforcement that they guys know a lot of the problem situations and know everything to kind of give us hints on, hey, this person does this kind of stuff and hey, look out for this. And it's, it's really nice. Um, 
uh, we was working with what's the name of the drug task force around here? What is that? Made. Yeah, yeah, we were working with Ma- yeah, yeah we were okay. working with Made recently, and those guys really know their stuff, and they really know the people in the community, and we're lucky that, that we have a group like that that's out there interacting in the community, and they help us out a lot too. Um, I, I like to think of uh, it similar to other events in um, healthcare, where almost like a uh, operation or surgery, that you first figure out what you've got going on, you talk to the scene, and then you may do a timeout to say, what do we need to do here? What do we need to be careful of? Um, because yeah, it's nice when they're at somebody's home, but oftentimes they're out in the field or in the creek, mm-hmm. uh, on the highway, uh, or hanging in a barn. Um, and uh, so what each person is going to do and make sure no one's, I thought you were going to do that. No, I thought you were going to do that. Talk it through and then be safe. And, and documentation and pictures is a lot. There are times we've gone back because we could not figure out the time of death, and the pictures uh, have different uh, bugs or larvae in them, and we've been helpful to get it at least backed up had it not been for the pictures because we didn't collect the bugs, but we at least have all the different um, timelines of a bug's life right. in the pictures and that's been very helpful mm-hmm. so you can't have enough pictures nowadays with digital pictures you know you're not worried about film yeah. right <laughs> so um but so the scene is about what's the history right there and um what you need to accomplish are we going to do an autopsy looking around the scene gives you a lot of context whether it's a car wreck or open beer cans are there prescription bottles whose medicine is it because that can often sometimes tell you who's doctoring the person. Um, it can tell you what diseases they may have. You know, oh, is there diabetes medicine, high blood pressure medicine, or there's seizure medicines here. Um, so you can get some clues who's prescribing, who's involved in their care. Um, what else? Was there distracted driving going on? What else is in that car? What else is in the barn? The notes, oftentimes electronic so we're trying to sometimes we're, we need to shut the phone off so nobody can disable it or erase it. Um, so we work with law enforcement on that. Um, but sometimes we need to take things into evidence, valuables we take, so we can make sure that the family gets them. Um, and then, and then we need to get the body packaged up either for the funeral or for an autopsy. Arrange transportation. And then they'll go back to the office and document all this stuff in a electronic format they'll do an inventory of pills we take we take all prescription medicines so that no one else is using them unsafely um and uh, our prosecutor actually got us the ohio law changed so that we can take somebody's personal property without you know violating the, the law right. so um that was done the but documenting all that we run an ORS report which is the ohio automated prescription a reporting system to look to see if there have been prescribed narcotics or controlled substances. And we do that on everybody um, just to see if that should raise our suspicion. Um, on overdose cases where we don't, where we think there's an overdose, we'll do a saliva test and send that off for the 48-hour tox screen and so we can give that to law enforcement. Um, and then um, what else do we do besides you know, making sure next of kin have been notified. There's a whole sheet that gets filled out that I really, that's how I make, you know, part of my job at the end is to get all these facts, get all this stuff together and make a determination what caused the death. Does it agree with the autopsy? If it doesn't agree with the autopsy, I need to talk to the pathologist to make sure we're aligned because I don't want to go to court and have a different opinion than a pathologist does. But all this comes together because a gunshot wound is a gunshot wound. 
was it accidental? Was it na- it wasn't natural, but sometimes yeah. you could say it's natural. But uh, uh, you know, is it suicidal? Is it homicidal or um, ac- accidental, suicidal, homicidal for gunshot wound? It really is context. So, um, so a lot of the stuff is happens. You know, there, there's usually an hour or two at the scene, another hour back at the office, and then they go home to go to bed, and um, then we start working on it, you know, uh, at cleaning up, getting medical records from the doctor or from the hospital, um, uh, collecting those if we can find out any, any information on those. That sometimes helps build up a story. We may have to request medical records. In the old days, that takes some time to get those facts to us or sent over to us. Um, so, so a lot of deaths, you know, take a week to actually collect all the information. Mm-hmm. A lot of these things, it sounds like you guys are doing here again, just straight from cop shows. Sounds like a lot of the stuff I think people think law enforcement does, you know, whether it be collecting evidence or looking around an inventory and collect, like, that's the stuff they see guys on whatever, you know, <laughs> CSI, you know, poking around with a pen or whatever. How do you figure out? What is law enforcement at the scene? What is law enforcement so, investigators' duty, and what's yours? And I, I think I, Dave can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a pretty clear delineation there. Um, from the coroner's perspective, we have um, we have rights over the body, and generally, the room the body is in is our jurisdiction. Um, anything beyond that is the sheriff or the police that are responding to scene. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that we work. In kind of in conjunction with them because it may be something, you know, hey, across that threshold, can you please take that into evidence or things of that sort the same way for them in the opposite for us. Um, so it, it's kind of a it's not just one or the other. It's kind of both doing those things at the same okay. time. I, I would um, go further to say that it goes back to my rule number two. Rule one is safety. Two is make, uh, good relationships. We work together with law enforcement. I, I don't have an ego that, hey, this is a death scene, therefore I'm first. We're there together. Mm-hmm. So it depends on who can process the evidence the best and for what purpose. I mean, if it's a kid's death and it's an, and it's a, uh, a blankie of the kid, I may leave that to law enforcement. If it's bloodstained, if that um, blanket is bloodstained and needs dried and needs processed DNA, I can probably get that done faster. Um, if it needs to have a drug identified, yeah, we can all use uh, BCI, um, but I can probably get it done faster through the Montgomery County Coroner's Office. So sometimes it's about uh, efficiency, and sometimes it's about uh, who's got best. And if this is a high-profile criminal case, I'm kind of going to defer to the law enforcement and let them run it. So it really um, – has to do with having good relationships and uh, working together to decide who's got who can do it the best. Uh, I have with the different uh, law enforcement agencies in the county. I have not met a problem with their ego trying to do everything in my half. So I think you get to some counties and law enforcement is the show because I wondered about that. I wondered if you know even if you have it okay here. If sometimes you get a my scene, no, it's my scene. You got that. We don't. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we don't have that issue around here. That we're we're really good. And once more, there's a lot of times where Dave's right that law enforcement's like, "Hey, why don't we take that into evidence or that firearm into evidence?" Because we're more able to deal with that. Absolutely, please, guys. You know, we're all going to work together and, and help each other when we can. Again, a lot of what I know comes from comes from cop shows, <laughs> and based on all cop shows I know, every cop is uh, very proprietary. Don't contaminate my scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, that's, yeah. that's all you hear. Um, 
Well, and that's the advantage of having everybody trained as a death investigator. They know what the scene is. They don't want to contaminate it either. That's the worst thing to do is end up on the front page of the paper, you know, because you screwed up evidence. So um, I, I, you know, we that's one of the reasons I've, I've advocated that they get trained as a death investigator. You understand the rules of evidence and what evidence could be. And so that, you know, there have been a few corners that, you know, even, even in Ohio that, you know, don't get along with because of, I'll call it egos, but it's because they just don't necessarily respect each other's territory and what's the good is for the taxpayers, what, what are we trying to do here? So I'll ask a weird question based on, you know, kind of the ego thing, but in the state of Ohio, right, the coroner, the chief medical examiner, whatever, the coroner is an elected position. Why is, why is the coroner an elected position? And what are the qualifications? Like, could I be coroner? I like that question. That's a good question. So uh, <laughs> Ohio has followed the uh, English system of law, and the coroner used to be a trusted, you know, they would coronate the king or— uh, Is that and, what that means? Uh, coroner? Yeah, and they were trusted, so they were trusted with the investigation of death. Had to do about taxes, you know. They were collecting taxes, and if somebody was declared dead, you didn't have to tax them. Or there's a whole long story, but Ohio adopted the English system of law, and a coroner is an official. <laughs> it, it's, it's running. The meter's running right. until the coroner gets there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not, not yet, Doc. <laughs> not yet, Doc. Hey, that guy. Man, that guy's right. got a lot of money. Take your time right. on that investigation. <laughs> Uh, so, I, you know, I, we have two counties that don't elect corners. They, they, they've done away with their system of government. Uh, and, they, you know, Cuyahoga County and Summit County have medical examiners. Um, they don't elect a prosecutor, or I think Cuyahoga County does. But they have gone away from this system that we have. It would be heresy for me to sit in Ohio and say, we don't need corners. I, you know, electing corners, I think they could be appointed just as easily. I actually see we right now – um, with primaries coming up and running, we have 88 counties, so that means 86 are running. 18 counties, no one is running for coroner right now. Now, somebody could could run in a general election without declaring a Republican or Democratic party, but right now we have 18 counties, no one is running for coroner. That's a problem. Um, and so, doesn't need to be elected. They can be appointed, um, but. I, I see the day that does it make sense to have uh, a full-time corner for every county? Can we do a regional county corner? That's a little slippery slope because if you can regionalize corners, why not regionalize mm-hmm. prosecutors right. or exactly. auditors or, you know, That's so right. you're going to Courts, I remember the, uh, mm-hmm. the, they tried to regionalize courts uh, about 20 years ago. And yeah. So I, I think um, I, I personally like a corner system. I can argue why not have medical examiners. Medical examiners tend to be forensic pathologists, and so they're trained in it. I, I Dr. Roosevelt has pronounced death long before he became deputy coroner. So I've done – I did a lot of deaths before – not a lot. I shouldn't sound like I'm a right. bad doctor. You're but, bad luck, uh, doc. I had, I had patients He's in the ER. You were family medicine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's I, I, had, I had people dying in the ICU, and I had, you know, pronounced them before I became coroner. So I'm familiar with death. Learning the, the non-natural side of death has taken some training. Understanding the law has taken some training. And um, – but – Well, evidence too. The chain was, of evidence, and, you know, that's a – <laughs> Again, from my extensive history of medical shows and, yeah. and crime dramas, you know, that chain of evidence is something that can really snag up mm-hmm. investigations and trials sometimes. So. I would guess it is. as a 
ER doc or as an ICU doctor, your first goal is to not have a death to not have a death scene, and whatever you have to do to make to avoid that is is first a priority, and then as a coroner. Deputy coroner, that changes. It was kind of weird for me, especially in the first few scenes I went on on where they were told, yeah, don't touch that. Don't move that. Where in the ER, it's I don't care. I'm going through this. I'm looking, getting Mm -hmm. the information I need, anything I can. (laughs) Right. It's a – they're opposite approaches a little bit Mm -hmm. in that perspective. So how did you get – I'll detour a little bit from Doc Applegate, but how did – how, uh, how did you get here? How did you decide? How did he talk you into this? <laughs> right, right, yes. <laughs> we heard how he um, got hoodwinked so, in, but how did you get here? So I did residency at OSU. Okay. Um, and that I finished residency in 2015. Um, and then I moved out here, and I've been working in Marysville ever since. Um, and then uh, – At the be, hospital? At the hospital. Okay. Um, and I had gotten to know the death investigators, um, Lance and um, – and Jim, yeah. who had been here a long time, and those guys had started talking to me, I guess, a few years ago. And just the slow thing of, hey, Dr. Applegate's not young anymore. <laughs> we need a plan B. Conversations <laughs> behind the doc's back. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and I think um, just getting to know those guys, and I kind of like the investigative side of medicine and was looking for another way to serve the community, and this kind of just kind of moved forward. Is that – what is the – you mentioned that there's 18 communities that aren't going to have that. Is What's the barrier to finding these guys that will step up for the next, uh, you know, be the next man up in these things? Is it just the the hours and the stress of their regular job, and then why would they go over and take on this other duty? Or I, I, I don't think there's one reason that we have a shortage of people interested in being coroners. Um, I'm I'm very involved in the uh, state coroners association. And we're trying to we're scratching our heads too. Is how do we get more medical students interested in this? How do we get more family doctors? Um, you know, when I started started into it, the uh, Danny Boggs was telling me about. He never told me about the salary. He told me about the OPERS benefit mm-hmm. of retirement, as well as health insurance. Uh, when I was in private practice then. Well, now you have to have twenty years of service before you get health insurance. Well, I was also going to say so, because we're a county hospital. A lot of the medical professionals that are affiliated with the hospital can get that. Can't they get that through Union County Memorial? Only if they're employed, but a lot of them, I don't know what the situation of that is, right. but I was always okay. privately employed. I wondered so. if, you know, there's not very many county hospitals anymore, right. so that would be a big benefit to a lot of people. I just yeah. wondered if that was a. No, so the pay is not great. I mean, the, I, and I say that uh, tongue in cheek a little bit. I mean, uh, physicians make a, a very healthy salary. So um, when I started, it was eighteen thousand. It's a small for a small county. The the pay for elected officials is set by the state, and it's and it's set based on county population. In the last census, every census, the the tier that you're in changes. We went from the lowest tier to the second lowest tier. So, which meant a nice, nice, healthy raise for most of the elected officials here. Uh, we've been doing the work, but you only get credit for the um, every ten-year census. And um, so, uh, eighteen thousand. I think I was making thirty-four thousand um, dollars before the census came into effect, and now it's up to fifty-three thousand dollars. So it's a you know healthy income. I, I think most people would say, "Wow, fifty thousand dollars. That's pretty good." And yet you you have some physicians that are making maybe four hundred thousand dollars or right. two hundred thousand. Right. Well, for all the extra thing, testifying, 
Um, it does require 20 hours of continuing education each year in addition to your job. You may get pulled out. I am very blessed in this county to have three investigators to go out. Madison County, he doesn't have any investigators, so he's going to every death scene. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that wears on not, family time. That money's not as good if you're going out to every scene. Right. right. So, so, so then how does that – that's set by statute. Then the county has to basically – they can give you whatever kind of budget you you need to – Get the investigation. Yeah, so, so um, I would say you know we we are a good size for two, two and a half investigators, but with Lance's age, Lance has said he'd retire shortly after I do. He'd like to have some transition, so we're kind of in legacy planning right now, mm-hmm. and that uh, Dr. Rosevere will have a couple good young death investigators on hand when we retire. And it takes a couple of years, I think, to really learn this job. I had five years as deputy to learn it. I think a couple of years we, you know, went through this whole thing of all these things we do. And some of it is cultural, trying to set the right tone to the office. How do we act in the community? Some of it is who's a VIP? How do we respond? How do we maintain those relationships that are so important? How do we work well with the newspaper? How do we work well with EMA? Oh, How do we, you know, have, so we've appreciated so, that for years. Yeah, so, so, there have been times yeah. when we are calling every law enforcement contact we have, can't get nothing. We're like, call the coroner. <laughs> yeah. He uh, he always picks up the phone and he usually gives us the straight information. Yeah, we so. we appreciate that you guys never never lie to us and never kind of. Nobody lies. No, but you you will. <laughs> Be straight and direct with yes. us and give us, like, real answers. Like, that, we don't always get that. So uh, it's, it's been a privilege. You know, I was, I'm also, for the last three years, I was coroner up in Ottawa County, too. And each county is a little different. They didn't elect a coroner up there, and so they, they hired me to fill in. And, um, you know, having a sta- couple state parks, having a lake, having an international mm-hmm. border, um, I, I, that county is 40,000 people. And in the summertime, it's maybe maybe two hundred fifty thousand people. Okay, why would you want to do that for thirty four thousand dollars? Right. Uh, the inter- the turnpike goes through a little piece of the county. Uh, I-, I was surprised <laughs> at how different the deaths were up there. Toledo dumps a few bodies uh, when they have a execution. Well, we're dumped in the county, and so all of a sudden, you know, the sheriff's going, "Doc, you ought to come to this one." Right. I, well, it's a two and a half hour drive, but okay. And um, wow. so it, it, each of the little counties, you get some counties that have full Amish. Some of the counties down like oh, Vinton County. Vinton County doesn't have a physician that lives in the county. You can't elect anybody that one. Right. Um, so that's an issue. Um, seems impossible. <laughs> I, I, seems impossible. I mean, Deserts. I think we're awful lucky in, in the Union yeah. County, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know it sounds weird, but we have some great resources. We have great community interaction. We're lucky to have businesses that interact with us, and we're lucky to have you know the setup administration that we do. And I think it's it's odd when you start talking about other counties where they don't even have a physician, right? Like. Oh man! Then it can be political. The D's and R's cannot get along. Mm-hmm. Uh, egos often are, are. Sometimes it's more ego than it is the politics. Um, some counties, um, the, the sheriff has more demand for the money than other places. Sometimes there's just no money in Vinton County, Morgan County, Perry right. County. 
they're pretty poor and you know they an autopsy is pretty darn expensive and it's it's a long drive sometimes transportation of the body costs as much as the autopsy does <laughs> so they pick and choose when they do it so yeah. is this the right funding mechanism uh, you know should the state maybe uh, mm. figure out those are all things that we talk about yeah, you wouldn't want the county commissioners telling you how many autopsies hey you're running a little hot this year and you're gonna have to dial back so we've done that if it's a if it's a tweener maybe let's uh Let's not call for the autopsy. <laughs> that, that, that's would, happened. Oh, my. So it seems like that isn't how it should be, isn't it? No. <laughs> you talked about that you were in kind of legacy mode and there's a transition happening. Talk to me about the – a little bit, if you would, the, the why and then the, the timeline of what's happening and – Sure. Well, I'm going to be 65 in a couple months, and uh, I am having fun working uh, as a physician and um, as a coroner. I, I, I would like to retire um, at some point. I, I, I uh, have retired twice now, and I keep going back to work. <laughs> so my wife is younger than I am, and um, I figure eh, maybe 67 is when I'll call it quits. So that's kind of two more years and um then then you know talking to the commissioners is i i i really never thought i'd ever find somebody to replace me i just there's just been nobody of interest um and then when uh lance uh, presented uh, dr rosevere we met he continued to, i couldn't scare him off i kept <laughs> you know talking so um i talked to the commissioners uh, we requested budget for a small amount of money to, I, it's not small i guess but uh, $12,000 it's public information to pay dr rosevere and you know i expect him to go to scenes learn the job as an investigator so that he can actually manage the office there's so many sides about you know following the budget about um hr policies uh, you know evaluations just running an office a county office to learn all this stuff he, he's a doctor he's not doing it but he needs to know i trust lance to do a lot of the work but i still okay paying bills i right. like to know where, where every penny goes and and uh, those things so i want to be a good steward i think having i had five years as deputy i think a couple years as as a as a deputy i should be able to train him um now he has to run for election or get appointed. It's just not because I say he's the next guy. Right, he's yeah, going to go through yeah. the yeah. yeah. political process. Yeah. Here. It has, it has happened. There have been some guys that got elected and then all of a sudden re <laughs> retired <laughs> yeah. within weeks afterwards. So, so, um, so, so my my plan right now, we haven't talked about. You know, does he want to run? Some I think if he retired too soon in the term. Then he'll have to stand for election, which means getting signatures. I mean, the political side of this has not always been the fun side of going out and being a politician, but uh, to get signatures. Like you said, I ballot. think you always of the unopposed uh, office holders. I think you tend to be the one that gets the most votes. I, so. wanted, I was going to quick look. Like you, I was going to quick look that up for you because I know <laughs> I'm, there's. I'm really positive you always get the most. <laughs> not always, but I think there's twice I didn't. So yeah, <laughs> the fact that you know, you the fact that you know, there's twice that there's two. I, right, that's, you didn't need to look I it up. He knew. Look it up. Yeah. <laughs> is is there any fear that you come and being in the ER, and then if you if you're needed, that's not like your situation where maybe you're a little easier to be able to pick up and go. If if you're in the middle of a shift in the ER and things are hairy and they're like, hey, we got a bad one out here, and how does that how is that going to kind of play out? I 
I'll let John answer too, but I had that situation. So I've been very honest with, I, I was an executive with Ohio Health, and I told him, you know, if the sheriff gets shot or somebody, you know, a county commissioner or sheriff gets shot, I will leave what I'm doing to go to that. Otherwise, I will, you know, my I realize this is my full-time job and I'll be here for work. Right now I'm seeing patients in Columbus and they were concerned about hiring me and how's this corner stuff where you can't just leave all the time like no but if there's a high profile case i'm going to leave and they're okay with that and they know i have to do evaluations i have to meet with people and Mm -hmm. do things like this but there is there is some concern you know you have a mass fatality probably gonna go um you know you just pray for that how he manages we've had other er doctors elected in the state. Allen County had one for a while that was an ER doctor, so it can be done. Mm -hmm. But that's something we talked about. It's going to be a challenge for him. I think my my partners and I will have to kind of talk that through. Uh, Hopefully those are few and far between. I mean, we all have outstanding circumstances and we've backed each other up. Um, Marysville is kind of a small emergency department. There's Mm -hmm. only really six full-time slots that we Mm -hmm. work, so we all know each other really well and we interact really well. I'm lucky to have good partners. I think the question is not how you're going to balance a job versus the coroner's job. I think the hardest decision is are you going to take care of somebody living or are you going to go take care of the dead? Yeah. Because I'm trying to take care of living just yeah. as well as dead. Yeah. I'll tell you, that was that was a weird one for me. when I was I spent eight hours in FEMA training yesterday and them all talking about FEMA planning and all the planning they were going to do and um, thinking about if, if a mass casualty event was going down in Marysville, man, where do I respond? I, I, I mm-hmm. would think that even if I'm not on call, that I'm probably going to the ER to help the ER. Right. And my death investigators, I'll have to lean on them. And right. hey, We just think of things like that when the, when the hotel thing happened right. a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. And everybody was telling me that at the Marysville basketball game, on duty. All, the, all the pagers were going off at the Marysville basketball game, and everybody was getting up and – Heading out because you put out the alcohol. Uh, I was I was in the ER that day. <laughs> Set them all off to yeah. You? <laughs> uh, that that was a weird day, man. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that, uh, yeah. I will so tell if you, that turns into yeah. you know more fatalities, like you're right I, in the middle we, of one. Of we those. got one. We got lucky. That wasn't as bad as everyone at the hotel was thinking it was going to be. Um, and two, I think we had an amazing community response. I don't think it got seen, but I, the people that came out of the woodwork alone in the ER. I mean, I had the uh, the um. The CMO of the hospital pushing beds around the around the ER just because he had showed up. I mean, there mm-hmm. were people who'd come just to help, and it was it was refreshing to see to know that our community is kind of that mm-hmm. kind of interactive with each other. That was a conversation I had with the county commissioners too about having full time death investigators because in the beginning it was Paul Slaughter, then it was Lance, and then Jim Fish, and they were all uh, paramedics. Mm-hmm. Well, do they respond to their firehouse, or are right. they going to come mm-hmm. help me? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. So it was, you know, conversation. So that, uh, you know, things are just kind of aligned where they have. Um, there's advantages of having firefighters become death investigators. There's the advantages of having law enforcement become a death investigators. The two young ones are actually college trained, and so we have to teach them. They know a little bit about the law, but we have to teach them about the medicine and the prescriptions. So, no, there's no one perfectly trained for this job. Um, and it's, I mean, we learn stuff every day. I mean, today we got 3D mapping of the yeah. bodies of, from the creek. And I was like, wow, this thing has really changed here. 
All right. Well, that's going to be the show for this week. Thank you guys for all the good information and thanks to everyone out there for listening. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Axio and Energia, for sponsoring the podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure and follow the show. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and lots of other places where podcasts are available. So be sure to tune into the show next week and we'll see you on Thursday.